Welcome to the Coffee First podcast, the home of conversations that inspire transformation and ignite purpose. I am your host, Che Macelli. Let's dive in. The month of April is Alcohol Awareness Month, an opportunity given to public health bodies, community centers, treatment facilities, and substance abuse awareness advocates around the world the chance to increase their efforts to reach people who may not fully appreciate the dangers of unhealthy alcohol consumption. In this three-part series here on Coffee First, I will be discussing matters of alcohol abuse awareness and prevention with three special guests. Today in part one, we chat with organizational psychologist, addiction professional, and the managing director of Africa Retreat Center, Juliet Morethi. Thank you so much for joining us, Juliet. Thank you so much, Chair. Thank you to the listeners, and I'm really excited to be here to share knowledge to Amazing. talk about uh, experience, strength, and hope. Great. Now, we just want to just dive right in. Julie, you are an organizational psychologist, and you're somebody who handles very many people who deal not just with alcohol, but with other substance use disorders. Could you just mm-hmm. kindly share with us an accurate definition of what alcoholism or alcohol use disorder is? Yeah, thanks again, Chair. And I'll, um, by defining alcoholism or alcohol use disorder, I'll start, first start by saying that alcoholism is a disease, just like um, cancer or any other disease. Uh, that's by WHO. So uh, when we are screening for alcohol use disorder or alcoholism, there are certain characteristics that, that we look at. And one of them is uh, uh, craving. If someone has a strong need or an urge to drink, um, then that means that they they have a problem with alcohol. Then another thing we also look at when we are screening uh, for AUD is uh, the loss of control, that uh, when someone has gotten to a point where their drinking has gone out of control and people are complaining about it and telling them to, 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 to control their drinking, the fact that they've lost control of their drinking means they have an, an alcohol use disorder. Another thing we also look at is uh, tolerance. If someone needs to drink uh, higher amounts of alcohol in order to get high, that means that they have a, an alcohol use disorder. And the other thing we also look at when we are screening for alcohol, uh, alcoholism or alcohol use disorder clinically is uh, dependence or uh, withdrawals. Withdrawals are the symptoms someone experiences when they stop uh, drinking alcohol. And this can come in form of uh, sweating, shaking, nausea, uh, anxiety. If someone, if when someone doesn't take alcohol, they experience these withdrawal symptoms, then we say that they have uh, an alcohol use disorder or AUD. So we, when we are screening for alcoholism, we look for one or more of these symptoms. And that is, uh, if you have one or more of these symptoms is when now we diagnose that you have alcohol use disorder. Okay, I'm I'm very familiar with alcohol use disorder. I am someone yeah. who has experienced its effects individually and also seen how it affected loved ones and close ones around me. And one thing that uh, many of my clients actually ask me is, I do not know what caused my alcoholism. I do not know what caused my drinking. And over the course of time, we come to understand that alcohol cannot be pinpointed to just one thing. True. You know, that there are very many factors that come in play. And I just want you to share what major factors have you seen in your experience 
dealing mm-hmm. as a, a a person who is in charge of running a recovery center mm-hmm. how many or what kinds of factors commonly pop up after mm-hmm. proper diagnosis to increase uh, the risk of or the 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 manifestation of alcoholism in people that you have dealt with yeah uh, one of the major factors which uh, we've seen that could cause uh, alcoholism is a genetic predisposition uh, there are higher chances that if you have someone in your in your family, a relative, who's suffered from alcohol use disorder before, there are higher chances that you're at risk of uh, having um, alcohol use disorder. Then uh, another factor we've also seen, which is very, very key, is uh, adverse childhood experiences or childhood trauma. Uh, there's uh, trauma. Trauma is linked to alcohol use disorder, especially childhood trauma. This can for- come in form of uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse, having a parent, uh, growing up with a parent who was having alcohol uh, use disorder, living with a parent who was incarcerated, divorce. All these uh, factors that uh, someone might have been exposed to in childhood could predispose them to also uh having an alcohol use disorder at a, at a later stage. Then we also have uh, ment- underly- underlying mental health conditions. Uh, people who have underlying mental health conditions are also at risk of uh, developing al- alcohol use disorder. Uh, and this is because sometimes probably, if, especially if the mental health uh, disorder is not diagnosed uh, early and properly, they might result to alcohol as a self-medication. And this... Uh, goes all the way and uh, they get into the alcohol use disorder. Then another thing is um, there are some uh, social factors, for instance, uh, especially in our African uh, uh, setting. Alcohol is uh, the traditional alcohol. It's brewed in the family, in the house, and everyone is taking. And so it's so normalized that uh, taking alcohol is so normal. So you find people start taking alcohol at a very early age and they're just exposed to it by the fact that it's it's brewed in the home and so that also uh, disposes them into uh, into becoming uh, into having alcohol use uh, disorder and then uh, if someone starts taking alcohol at an early age um, uh, then he, by the time and you see it's a progressive illness you start small and, and it keeps on progressing and becoming worse uh, with time so if someone also starts taking alcohol at an early age they're at risk of developing alcohol uh, use uh, disorder. And then also, um, like just like in the definition where we said um, the, the increased amount of if you, if, if you need high doses in order for you to get high. So the more you take, uh, the more you increase the amount, the more you're at risk of uh, developing uh, alcohol use uh, disorder. So those are some of the major factors that we've seen, apart from also uh, the family setting, but also the family setting comes in the form of the genetic uh, predisposition, uh, which uh, means that someone grows in a very dysfunctional uh, family setting, which again can be attributed to the childhood trauma. So all those factors, when they come together, someone is uh, at a very high risk of, of developing alcohol use disorder. Right. And it's very interesting that you mentioned that, you know, being predisposed to alcohol mm-hmm. actually leads to a higher risk of somebody becoming an alcoholic. Yeah. And I just wanted to, to dive into the consequential effects of alcoholism. Usually when mm-hmm. we are speaking to 
clients or when we're speaking to patients, we focus yeah. on the individual effects that it presents to them, you know, chronic disease, degenerated sure. cognitive abilities and things like that. But it's mm-hmm. very interesting as to how what affects the individual will if, eventually if, um, affect the family and a society as a whole. As somebody who has dealt with patients who have been brought in by family members for, for rehabilitation or even for any other treatment, how has or how have family members uh, let you know that the issue at hand, the alcohol use disorder that somebody is facing has affected the family generally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, first of all, the, the, the first and foremost thing that alcohol uh, does to families is it leads to dysfunctional families. And when you have dysfunctional families, people take on dysfunctional family roles. Because when you have an alcoholic in the family, it means all of you have to develop uh, coping mechanisms in order to deal with the problem. And then with the stigma surrounded uh, with the disease, no one wants to talk about it. And some of these uh, functional, I mean, family roles we take are not very healthy. For instance, um, uh, we've seen um, in most cases, mothers and wives become enablers. And that is just, it is not a a conscious decision. It is a subconscious decision that um, they need to protect their husband or their son. And so sometimes you'll find they're even buying alcohol and giving it to them uh, to drink in the house because drinking in the house is safer which is not uh, a very functional thing. It's, it's actually a very sick and twisted thing. You find another member of the family will, um, will become, uh, will take up the role of the lost child because all of us are obsessed uh, with, the, with the alcoholic in the family. It, yes. it, it means there's one child who gets just, they, it's, he's never noticed. And that child, what that child picks is that for me to get noticed, I need to cause chaos in that in the family then you'll get another child probably or family member will become the hero and the pers- this hero is the person who is doing everything to make sure the family is uh, is 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 stable and usually heroes are the firstborns so they take up the role of their uh, parents and they they have to make sure that um we have this problem in the family. I need to take care of, of mom and dad because, I mean, I need to take care of mom because dad is an alcoholic. And so this child becomes a parent at a very early age. Then these dysfunctional family roles, we, we take them up, up to adulthood. And then when we also get families, the dysfunctionality is, is passed on. So one of the major things we've seen with alcoholism is dysfunctional uh, family roles. We've also seen um, people who come to us uh, and uh, they, are, they have uh, mental ment- families uh, with uh, mental illness like anxiety, depression, because uh, it is not easy to... to, to to have someone who is sick of, of this disease, and most people don't understand that it, it's a disease. Most people actually consider it as a moral uh, failure or it's a moral issue, right. not as a sickness. And so the fact that it's it's a moral issue, then the stigma, so we can't talk about it. And it has and to be kept no in need the, for treatment. Exactly. And it has to be kept in the confines of the home. And so we are suffering alone in the house and we're not able to reach out to anyone and so they end up uh, having a mental illness like anxiety and depression we've also seen domestic violence um, a lot of it as a result of uh, alcoholism um, um, most wives and uh, who come to even children who beat up their 
their parents. Um, wow. By the time they come for treatment, uh, I know of a case of a, 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 a child who walked into a, the, the, the parents' bedroom and just started beating them up from a, a drinking stupor in the morning. And by the time they were bringing him for treatment, they, they, it was not the first time it was happening. Every time the child drinks, they, they, the anger is just towards the parents and he has to beat them with anything he sees in front of them. So, yeah, there's also a lot of the domestic violence uh, as a result of alcoholism. Um, there's the, also the, the obvious one, which is uh, we've seen... Um, uh, alcohol uh, accidents which are caused by alcohol use so you're there you're minding your own business you've not even uh, taken any alcohol then someone goes uh does their their drink drunk driving and you're caught up in an accident which you are not even uh, uh part of indeed we've heard so, so this, many of uh, it's an exactly it's an individual but you see in extension, the society is having to suffer the consequences of this individual who is taking the alcohol. And we can't even, we can't forget to talk about um, increased crime, which comes with uh, with alcohol use. Because like we say, uh, alcohol, uh, it's, uh, the, the, the chemicals of the brain, it, it numbs some chemical of the chemicals in the brain. And then some of the decisions you make, uh, you, you've had most people who wake up in the morning and they're like, what happened? They can't even remember uh, what they did after they, they drank and they have to be reminded. So you find uh, there's a lot of crime related to uh, alcohol uh, use disorder. And uh, so many other things uh, that the society has to 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 face as a result of of alcoholism but most of it is this it's caused by this stigma and the lack of uh, us uh talking about it and the fact that alcohol is uh is not um is legal unlike other yes. drugs alcohol is legal so we are all allowed there's nothing wrong with taking alcohol it's only wrong when it's taken in when it's taken and you start behaving badly but it's the fact poison that, it, that they encourage you to it, take exactly so the fact that it is a, 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 a legal drug makes it also very hard for society and for us to 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 control some of these things uh, that come with uh, alcohol use uh, disorder right i wanted to talk about the stigma because that is one of the biggest stumbling blocks to the fight against not just alcohol use, alcohol. but generally substance use disorders. Yes. I know what stigma does when it comes mm. to family members and loved ones. And I do remember that when my mom was suffering with uh, alcohol use disorder, and later on when I also began to drink as much, over the years, not one single professional solution was raised. You mm -hmm. know, it was the easiest solution. The, the, the only solution that was presented was the easiest, which was to mask the situation, flee from it. You know, every other thing, deal with it in every other way, except find plausible treatment solutions sure. for the person. Mm. And so I, I just want to expound on the, 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 the stigma and how ignorance is actually fueling mm. this monster in our society. Many people do not know that there are actually yeah. effective treatments available for addiction. Mm. It's being attributed to so many different other things and yet mm. just acknowledging that it is something that needs to be treated can actually mm. go a long way. 
And I, I just want you to just go ahead and share some of the effective available treatments for alcohol use disorder. This is information that I believe people yeah. need because people are wallowing in their depression and they believe that, you know, they are broken, they cannot be fixed, that they are a mistake, and yet there's actually hope for them. So mm -hmm. could you just kindly share some of the most effective available treatments that you have, uh, not just you, but that are generally available for people to receive? Yeah, this is a very interesting question because uh, in our field of work, we say our biggest uh, competitors are not treatment centers. Mm. They are traditional healers, they are pastors, they are witch doctors, those, and that's, that's because of the stigma surrounding this disease and the ignorance that it is a disease and not a moral issue so you'll find the treatment center is the last place when everything else has not worked uh, so by the time our clients come to treatment centers they've gone through a lot um, they've gone to traditional healers because it's attributed to an auntie who is trying to bewitch you and so they have made this they when that doesn't work they are taken to a witch doctor and he needs to put medicine give this alcoholic so by the time they come to us they are so traumatized but also we've reached a point where we said we need to work together with these all these people we need to bring them on board uh give them information these traditional healers uh, uh these uh, witch doctors and 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 also pastors and uh, give them as much information so that they are they, we're able to work together in terms of referral. So um, if I'm to delve into what treatment options are available for alcoholism and alcohol use disorder, uh, I'll start with uh, these uh, inpatient uh, treatment, outpatient uh, treatment, and the 12-step uh, program. Uh, for the inpatient treatment, uh, I would also want to talk about detox because we said when we are screening for alcohol use disorder, one of the of the symptoms we look for are the withdrawal uh, symptoms, and um, most people who use alcohol do not do not like the life they are living, and they are trying so hard to come out of it. But sometimes when these withdrawals symptoms come and they are very painful they are not able to they need to take another drink in order to feel uh, normal so a detox uh, if, if and most hospitals actually offer detox because it's just a, a, a few days where you check in and uh, they, it's medically supervised by a doctor and you're able to be helped uh, through the withdrawal symptoms. We also have uh, inpatient treatment programs, uh, different treatment facilities. Uh, and, and by inpatient treatment program, I mean, uh, we don't like to call them rehabs, again, because of the stigma uh, around that name. So nowadays we it's refer to them as... It's such a loaded word. <laughs> yes, exactly. So... So we refer to them as treatment uh, addiction treatment centers, uh, not rehab, because the idea people have of rehabs is where people are chained and beaten, yes. and that is not true. Uh, a, a, a treat a, a rehab or a treatment addiction treatment facility is supposed to be a very serene place. It's supposed to be a place. Uh, meant to help you recover. You're not supposed, we try as much as possible and speaking for our treatment center, we are very trauma informed. Um, 
uh, even the the security guards we use, we we know most of our patients by the time the time they they've come to us, they've dealt with so many um, law enforcement. So you don't want them to see a security guard and get have the trauma. Triggers. Yeah, the triggers that they had uh, when they. So we, we try as much as possible to be very trauma informed in how we 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 are we are handling uh, our patients. So the inpatient facilities, they are very many options different treatment facilities have different programs but i i know the 90-day program is very effective where you stay in uh, for 12 weeks then you're able to to work with a multidisciplinary team of uh, psychiatrists uh, psychologists addiction counselors psychiatric nurses and then the most important change which i've found very useful is this 12-step program the aa alcoholics uh, anonymous I know of people who have not gone to rehab and have done the 12-step program and have been uh, sober. So the 12-step program is also very, very effective when it comes to uh, treatment of alcohol uh, use disorder. The 12-step principles, uh, if done faithfully with a, with a sponsor, can help someone uh, achieve a full recovery, even if they don't check into an inpatient treatment facility. Amazing. I've actually visited Africa Retreat Center and I know those security guards very well. They were very sweet <laughs> to me, but I've heard that they were not so sweet to some patients who tried to jump over the oh my God. <laughs> now, I just want to dive into just um, one, one very, very key aspect I feel we need to discuss, which is yeah. relapse and relapse prevention. Yes. Relapse is like one of the biggest things that people who are in addiction recovery struggle with. Because sure. ideally, when we, we want, when we want people to get free, we want them to stay free. Mm. And so what is it that causes relapse? What are the driving factors that lead people to relapse? Because all the time we're trying to help them move forward from their past life, from their regrets. And somewhere, somehow, life happens and they go back to the familiar chaos. Mm. What is it that actually leads people into diving into this and how can they be helped in order to bring them back on the right track? Yeah, I uh, when we're doing the relapse prevention uh, program with uh, our clients and uh, the relapse, for us, the relapse prevention program starts, starts on day one. You start writing a relapse prevention plan. Uh, when you uh, when you're doing treatment on day one and some of the things we insist for them is avoid people places things and situations uh, the people you used to drink with the places you used to to drink the things that trigger your drinking uh, if I could speak for a Kenyan context where um Nyamachoma is associated with bars yes. so this the smell of 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 of, of nyamachoma can trigger someone into just right. remembering their nice drinking drinking days so avoiding those places people things and situations situations which put you uh, at risk to to go back into drinking so some of the the challenges uh people face which lead to relapse one of the key factors actually is boredom uh once uh because most of them when they're in treatment they get into a structure uh, we wake up at this time, we do meditation, then we have the first session, then we have lunch at exactly this time. Then in the evening when we finish, we do our homework. So when they leave the treatment uh, center and go back home and that structure is not there 
and right. they, they 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 are bored. They probably don't have a, a job. They 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 are, they're not schooling, and the structure is not. Uh, we we actually emphasize to our family uh, the families of our clients that make sure they maintain that structure. That they wake up on time. They make their bed. They have breakfast with the family. After breakfast, there's something that they are doing. So when they this boredom comes, um, it becomes a challenge for them because now it we 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 know uh, an uh, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Absolutely. So we encourage our clients um uh, to 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 get into uh, something. Uh, for us, they do the two weeks outpatient where they come every day, uh, but also uh, as they try to to fit into the society uh, once again. So we encourage them uh, after treatment. They try, even if it's a volunteer uh, program, uh, do something, but don't just uh, be idle. Then another thing is um, that we've seen that leads to relapse. And as much as we say someone's recovery is their responsibility, in cases where families have not really been um, supportive during treatment, uh, they've not faithfully uh, come for their family sessions. They've not, uh, you know, what happens, Che, is when people bring their their, their mem- family members to our place, the issue is fix this one. He's the problem. And so you'll find that people who will drop their, their loved one and come back after 90 days uh, wow. because to them, he's the problem, fix him, and then we'll come and get him once he's fixed. People forget that we say it's a family disease. This member is using, but it's the symptom of a very sick family. In fact, we say the person who is using is the, is the, is the, is the headache that is malaria in the family. Wow. So it's just that uh, they, 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 they might not be drinking, uh, but it doesn't mean that they are very healthy. It's just that uh, this person who is drinking is, is the one who the problem is mag but it's a family disease and so it's very important for the family members to participate in the recovery of this person because it also means it's a recovery for them and if i go back to where i was talking about dysfunctional family roles if you participate in their recovery you're able to to be shown your your part in this um in this disease and so you're also able to uh mend your side of the street as they are making their straight side of the street so that's why by the time they come back you're not still the enabling mother who gives him money, who uh, tells him now because you you you've gone to treatment, you can uh, it's okay you can take one, but from the from the house. So when in families who have not participated in uh, the program, uh, then they 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 become also a risk factor for this person who has participated faithfully in their program. Then the other thing that uh, leads to relapse is the notion that. Um, I have gone to treatment. Now I can drink safely. Um, we say for as long as you're an alcoholic, you're an alcoholic for life. You can never, ever, ever drink in a safe way. Mm. And so this notion that I have gone to treatment, I used to take eight bottles. At least now I can take one bottle um, safely. For as long as you've been diagnosed with alcohol use disorder, it means you can never ever take not just alcohol, but any other drug right. uh, in, a, in, a, in a safe way. So the, the, when they come out and then they, they start uh, saying they can drink normally, they, it, it leads to a 
full blown you take that one and it leads to a full blown uh, relapse then uh, of course uh, i talked about the people uh, places things and uh, situations the other thing that also makes them um uh, go into relapse is um if they there's an underlying mental health condition because some of them come for treatment when they have not just aud but also another underlying uh, mental health condition. And especially if they've not gotten to a place where they have accepted that they have the, the, the mental illness, it, it, it can, like, just like I said in the beginning, sometimes they use alcohol to self-medicate. And you know alcohol is also a depressant. So it, you can easily get depression uh, for taking uh, alcohol. And so these uh, underlying mental health conditions could predispose them to, into into further into a relapse. Then again, the most fundamental, it's not getting into a 12-step program because we usually encourage uh, our clients after treatment, get a sponsor, get into a, uh, a solid 12-step uh, recovery program and do your, your step work. For those who have not done that, they've most often have relapsed, but for those who followed through and done their 12-step program, they're working with their sponsor, they call them whenever they have triggers, they are uh, also helping other people because the, the beauty about the 12-step program is that it also puts you into a place where you have to be of service to another alcoholic. Right. And if you're, if you're of service to another alcoholic, you're able to see yourself in that person you're able to become empathetic mm -hmm. and you're able to maintain your sobriety just by helping another person um be, be remain maintain their sobriety as well so the beauty of the 12-step program is that part of service the 12th step where you have to be of service to another alcoholic and we've seen most of those people who who have been of service to other alcoholics have it has helped them maintain um their sobriety and not go into 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 a relapse wow that's very that's actually very insightful especially mm -hmm. because you know the work the, the majority of the work comes in when you leave the center exactly. a lot of people believe that you place somebody in a in a treatment center and then like a microwave they pop out after three mm -hmm. or six months and automatically they're fixed but the actual yeah. work comes when you uh, actually leave the center and intentionally begin to work your uh, towards your freedom. Now, in, just as we close and as we put a pretty little bow on this, one thing I commend Africa Retreat Center for is the fact that they are a Christian recovery center. And I just wanted you to share because I, for me, it's it's my relationship that I cultivated with God that led yeah. me onto my journey of freedom. It's the reason as to why I can boldly say that I am three years sober today and that mm -hmm. I am you know able to actually help other people without any fear of condemnation or without any mm -hmm. fear of, of relapsing as we just mm -hmm. you know spoke about and could you just kindly share for somebody who's listening one of the mm -hmm. greatest challenges that I have faced when I'm coaching and also when I'm sharing my story my testimony is the aspect of the God factor a lot of people believe that, you know, it's possible to get healed without, you know, having to deal with God. Those God things are lies. I, or maybe you, you meet some people who have church heart or some post-traumatic disorder of some sort from mm -hmm. having met maybe wrong representatives of God somewhere, somehow in the corridors of yeah. life. And could you just sure. kindly share to somebody who's listening here? 
what is the importance of incorporating building a strong foundation based on godly values in your client's recovery mm-hmm. process? Yeah, and uh, congratulations on the three years, Chair. Um, that is so beautiful. Yeah, so we are, our program is very spiritual. And uh, we've borrowed this from the, again, uh, you might think I'm, um, I'm advertising the AA. No, no, no. It's it's just what it is. We've borrowed uh, the, the the principles from the 12-step uh, fellowship. Eh? And uh, the first step, it, 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 for us, it is God as you understand him. And uh, what we like about these uh, spiritual principles is they cut all across because we get clients from all over. We get Hindus, we get Muslims, we get Christians, we get Buddhists. Um, yeah, so we get clients all over the world. And these 12-step uh, spiritual principles speak to all religions. Uh, they cut across because it's this, the, princip- the principles are respect, empathy, um, love, honesty, trust. And those are the things we, we, we teach our, our clients when, when, they are, when they're in recovery. But also we emphasize they are not only there to stop taking the, the, the drink. They're also there to learn other many aspects uh, of, of life and the spirituality is, is one of them. And so we are very big on, on spiritual uh, principles. And like I said, for us, it's the 12-step uh, spiritual uh, principles which cut across. We, we talk about God as you understand him. And then uh, it's, it's, it's about all those uh, values uh, of love, um, forgiveness, uh, uh, honesty, because most of them, when they're out there, all these things are, 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 are not, they don't practice them. They are not honest with their loved ones. They are not forgiving. They move around carrying so much resentment. It's because of my wife that I'm drinking. It's because of my father uh, that I am like this. So we try to teach them to to detach and to and to and to and to and to embrace uh, forgiveness, uh, to to be honest, to trust um, uh, that God, who is the higher, who is the higher power, can can lead them into sanity. If I was to read some of those uh, twelve steps, uh, maybe you could understand where I'm coming from. So yeah, we are a spiritual uh, program, not religious, but uh, spiritual, and uh, it is for us and for our clients, it is God. As you understand him, because again, just like you mentioned, Chair, by the time they come to us, they've met so many uh, religious leaders who have misrepresented uh, God. And by the time they walk into our gates, their idea of God is very distorted um, because probably the, the, the last time they had an encounter with someone who was talking about God was looking at them as, a, as morally um, not upright uh, because of their drinking and so by the time they come to us they they feel uh, uh this uh when it comes to god we are very uh we are sinners we are not morally um upright and so they are scared of 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 even going going there they they don't want to touch on that because out there they've been condemned because the the first thing that was done is that they were taken to a pastor which pastor said you you need to stop drinking your morally right. not not okay you are not a representation of the church and so by the time they come to us um they they don't even want to hear about about that side so we help them uh know that god loves them 
and it is God who has kept them up to the time when they have uh, uh, they have come into treatment because most of most people have not made it, and so the fact that uh, that God led them into into the right help means that God has a purpose uh, for them, and that is why they are still alive despite everything that they did out there, despite the condemnation. They come to a place where they are told that God loves you and God is love. And it is God who has enabled you to reach here when you are alive. And it is God who has enabled you to get this help and get it in, in, in the right place. So, yeah, we, 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 we try to, 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 to say that to them very gently and, and slowly until they get to a point where they are now comfortable about talking about uh, 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 God and, 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 and what direction they want their spiritual uh, life uh, to take. But we come from a place of we do not judge you. We love you. Whichever decision you make, it, it's your decision. And that's what we, we will go with. So we don't condemn. We don't. And that's why we say it's a disease, not a moral failing. And uh, we don't represent any any church. But... Um, we are God's people who have been placed there by him in order to help his, uh, his, his sheep who mm-hmm. are the clients who come to us. And that's what we try to, to make them understand and especially emphasizing it to them that God loves you. And that God is the reason you're here and you are safe because by the time they come, the stories are so many. They've done accidents. They've been shot. They've slept in uh, right. prison. They've done all those things, but still God kept them. Because and what we joke is we tell them they they are lucky because they've lived both in hell and in heaven. Right. Uh, in hell when they were in were drinking and now they get to experience the life of sobriety and that is their heaven. So we, we usually say alcoholics are, are the luckiest people because they've they've managed to live two lives in one, the life in hell and 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 the life in 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 heaven. And uh, you find with try with time they are open. And uh, they they want to talk about God. They want to know more about God. And you'll find even they're they're, they're, they're writing a list home and among the things they're putting on the list is a Bible. And it tells you that uh, they they have made a journey and they've come to a place where they have gotten their, what we call their spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for anyone listening and um, you're there, you've been condemned, you've been judged. Uh, I just want you to know that God is love and God loves you. And uh, you're alive right now because God hasn't finished his purpose for you. He still feels that there's something great uh, he's going to use you for. And you just need to listen to God's voice in other people. I'm sure among all the people condemning, whispering, there's one person who is God's voice. You just need to listen uh, to it and do what what he's asking of you. Wow, that is so profound. There is absolutely yeah. nothing that I can add to that, Juliet. Thank you so much. Yeah. You are doing a phenomenal job. Please keep it up. May God just continue to increase you and use you. And just mm-hmm. as we close this off, finally, where can the people in Kampala, Uganda, listening, receive the services of Africa Retreat Center? Yeah, we are located in Naguru. Uh, we are on plot 10, Hirai's Road in Naguru. Um, uh, we also have a center in Barara, by the way. Uh, oh, wow. It's uh, in yeah, Kokonjeru off Ruharu Road, uh, just behind Ntari. We we have a center also in Barara. 
uh, in Kampala, yeah, we are in uh, Naguru of, I mean, uh, Ploten Hill Rise Road near IOM. Okay. On okay. social media, yes. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, on social media, we are on Twitter, we are on Facebook, we are on Instagram, we are on LinkedIn. Uh, on Twitter, we are, uh, it's Africa Retreat Centers or ARC, and uh, it's at Africa R uh, underscore centers. For Facebook, it's just Africa Retreat Center. And for Instagram as well, it's just Africa Retreat uh, Center. For Twitter, the good thing is we have a blue badge. So you'll see the blue, blue badge uh, next to Africa Retreat Center. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Juliet, once again, for taking time to just speak to us. And I do hope that whoever listens to this is edified and is encouraged that if you are listening and you want to reach out for help, please go ahead and reach out. There are people who want to help you. There are people who want to see you grow. There are people who want to see you free from the bondage that you are going through. Alcohol is not a permanent situation. It is something that can be dealt with. It's something that can be handled. All you have to do is open yourself up to receive the help that you need. Thank you so very much. Asante sana, Che. Thank you for listening to this episode of Coffee First. I want to hear from you. If anything stood out for you from this episode, go ahead and leave a comment, like the video, and if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can also keep up with all the episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts.